Hello, you're listening to Renaissance Man, a podcast featuring my father, Philip Brunel, as he talks about the world of music. No, no, the polite word is we would say saxophonist. Yeah. The, the British say saxophonist. Oh, the saxophonist. Well, I mean, that's a, it's a thing you can do, right? Do. You can and hire a saxophonist. So um, I listened to that little news thing of Steve Epting. Yeah, Steve Epting, right. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. Right. <clears throat> yeah, there's a guy. I mean, first off, you know, the Grammys happen, right? And it's wonderful that, you know, Lizzo, one of, you know, she kind of built a lot of her, she didn't start here, but she built a lot of her career here in, in the Twin Cities. And I love the fact that, you know, she's going to appear and her, from what I understand, her request was, well, I want to, now this is in Los Angeles. So you have to imagine that your pick of singers in Los Angeles, entertainment capital of the world, they're probably pretty good, right? And then she got this guy, Steve Epting, uh, to, I guess, arrange and then rehearse. And so the clip from, you know, TikTok and Instagram is, is the rehearsal where, you know, they're going yep. through their paces and they're working. I mean, not a particularly difficult thing, but it's Lizzo's reaction, her reaction of like, you know, there's 40 women there, you know? And they kind of, they all dress, they're all going to dress the same, but 40 women and Lizzo sitting there, she goes, you all sound like one voice, which is kind of the point of a choir, right? You know, it's the magic is that you can get 40 different people to enunciate and sing mm -hmm. and align in such a way that it sounds like one big voice. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty cool. So, uh, well, hey, how are you? I'm fine. I mean, as you can see, it just doesn't ever stop. Yeah. We're, we're fine. So what are you doing on Sunday? Well, I've been starting a chamber series once a month of doing some a free concert here at Plymouth Church. And this particular Sunday, since it's almost Valentine's Day, I thought we've got five fabulous soloists here. And why don't I have each of them choose some music that's however they wish to think of it, about love. And we'll make this a little afternoon concert. And so each of them has chosen about eight to 10 minutes of music. And Sonia Thompson and I will be the accompanists. And we put this together and we're starting the program mm -hmm. with a number they all sing and closing with one that they all sing. And then have a fine little time. Yeah. Are you going to, any Burt Backrack? pieces and you know given... i know that you would want that but you know actually you no know, bert and i we were not i mean i of course know who he is and i know a couple of his pieces but we weren't real we weren't real close always something there to remind me say a little prayer i mean there's some songs about love in there there is but i okay did you know this i'm sure the answer is no but go ahead bachrock studied at manis college in new york okay who did he study with at Manus yeah. at that time. Hmm. Who? Darius Mio. With Mio was at Manus, that's right. Yes, yeah. he was out in California, but then he also was in New York. And he studied with Henry Cowell. Mm -hmm. And he studied with Boislav Martinu. 
with Mark New. Well, there's a wonderful, the whole idea of studying with Mio and with Martineau, who were quite different in terms of their style, and Henry Cowell, of yeah. course, so yeah. yes. So the, I love the quote from the New York Times about Burt Bacharach. He, quote, fused the chromatic harmonies and long angular melodies of late 19th century symphonic music with modern pop orchestration and embellished the mixture with a staccato rhythmic drive. It's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that that's Burt Bacharach. You, I mean, we'll have to find an excuse for, you know, Plymouth or vocal essence to do a little bit of a, a nod to Mr. Bacharach. Well, let's think about that. Perhaps it could be some kind of a quiet prayer response. Yeah. Well, you know, he you know. loved that kind of soothing yeah. style of music, so yeah. that might be where it fits in. Well, and and I, yeah, and I was thinking about that when we we went to the J, the Jacob Collier concert last yes, fall. Yes, we right? did. And if you listen to a lot of his music, clearly a huge hugely influenced by Bach rock, right, you know? Yes, though Jacob never studied with Henry Cowell. Yeah, well, well of I, course, Henry Cowell was not alive when it'd he was. It'd be difficult to study with him. Right. The other thing that I know this Sunday's coming up, and I know you are just on the edge of your seat, who are you picking to win the Super Bowl? I have not given it a lot of thought and i think the biggest the, the biggest challenge for me is that i don't know who's playing okay and therefore it would be difficult for yeah. me to make a choice yeah who is the, the quote is like I, i'm really excited that one of the teams will win exactly and yeah. i am what, so what what choral works will the plymouth choir be singing to mark the occasion of the super bowl they actually will not be marking that occasion because this Sunday they will sing a piece by the Norwegian composer Egil Hovrand, mm. a beautiful piece that he wrote yeah. called Be With Us, and will also be singing a piece by the Chicago Jewish composer Max Janowski, a piece that we will sing in Hebrew called Sim Shalom. Mm. You got when you guys choose music, you choose diverse, interesting music. Very much so. Well, that's you know that's awesome. So it's February 2023. You and I sat down and did a little brainstorming on this year. And the good news is we've got a handful of different dates picked out and different subjects picked out for this season of Renaissance Man. So that's that's exciting. And we're going to start with this theme, the state of choral music circa 2023. So I had asked you to connect with your, your vast global network of choral directors and educators and composers to get a sense of where the business of choral music is at. And, and I understand that you have, uh, you've engaged with uh, choral folks in Japan and South Africa and Argentina and all over Europe and across the United States. Yeah. So let's do it this way. We've got four questions 
basically four themes about choirs and repertoire, audiences and innovations. Mm -hmm. And you're going, you surveyed your network. Mm -hmm. And so let's just take each one in turn mm -hmm. and we'll hopscotch around the globe and you can tell us who you spoke with, how you know them, give us their sense of what's happening in choral music in their part of the world, and then I'll ask you some questions and you can comment. So let's start with England. England, mm -hmm. yes. My friend there, Simon Halsey. Mm. Simon Halsey is, without a question, one of the most important conductors in England in terms of his work with various choirs, with various conductors the, of symphony concerts where he has prepared the choirs for them. And so I asked him, what about choirs returning? Mm -hmm. uh, People engaging in choral singing, yeah. He said <clears throat> he would guess that everyone is a bit smaller in numbers which is to do with some people having said, you know, I think I'll retire. So now that the COVID thing has passed, but I don't think I'll come back. And so he said, of course, we've missed out on the years of having auditions mm. and re-auditions. Yeah. He said that the repertoire has changed greatly. It's much more diverse now mm. than it was pre-COVID. In, in, in <clears throat> what way did he indicate? Just that... People have reflected, thinking back to what it was before and saying, you know, we could be doing a lot more things that would be more unusual and unique and reflecting on the whole world. Cool. So that he felt. He felt that audiences certainly have not returned in England to mm -hmm. the totals that they had because he said what we really need now are in England new impulses, new ideas, formats, repertoire. And so he sees it as a great opportunity mm. for bringing audiences and new audiences coming because of what is happening and now where the state of music is in England. It, so kind of a reset in a way. Exactly. Interesting. Huh. How and about innovation? As far as that, he, can, he said, definitely, as we said earlier, he feels an, a determination to bring on diverse repertoire and conductors. And he's saying that through his work with symphonies and his work with professional choirs and his work with university choirs. That's fantastic. Where are we, where are we journeying to next in the world? Mexico. Ah, Mexico, fantastic. Where I contacted my friend Jorge Cordoba. Mm, yeah. Jorge, who I've known for many years, is a man who has a weekly radio program in Mexico City yeah. about choral music. Oh, awesome. He's a conductor, he is a composer, and is very well known. And when I started the Cantare program at right. Vocal Essence, it was Jorge who I contacted to say, where do I find young composers right. in Mexico? and he sort of knows them all. Yeah. So he was the perfect one for me to go to. All right, uh, well, what, what is he thinking about choirs? He says, as far as choirs go, uh, they, many of the amateur and professional have now started to come back, but of course there's still concern about protecting the audience in terms of their health. Yeah. Okay. He said, surprisingly, 
that the repertoire in Mexico has stayed very similar. Hmm. But this is because, he said, we have these celebrations here. You know, we have the Day of the Dead. Mm -hmm. We have the pre-Christmas. We have the big Cervantino festival, downtown festivals. And so he said a lot of times people in Mexico now are often interested in performing pieces with a pre-Hispanic theme. In Mm. other words, going back to indigenous music of 500 years ago. Oh, wow. And so he said that's kind of happening more and more. He said there are a lot of concerts, but not just classical, a lot of pop, rock, you know, a lot of different things happening in terms of choral music. Also mixing and matching. And so because of that, there wasn't any new innovations that Mm -hmm. he had there because that really was because of what they're trying to do with looking at the old music in Mm -hmm. Mexico. That's really happened. So, but what's ancient is new. It is. And, you know, at Cantoray, here at Vocal Essence, we, over these years, have brought 22 uh, composers from Mexico. Some of them have written pieces of their, of their own style. Some have written pieces but based them on music from pre-Hispanic Mexico. And so taken melodies and, then, yeah. and, and used instruments from those times as well. So. Interesting. All right, where are we traveling to next? Why don't we move to Finland? Ah, yes. A great center for choral music. Why? How, why? why do you say that? Because it's like Scandinavia, all those countries, Sweden, Finland, yeah. Norway, Iceland. They have just had centuries-long focus and interest in, in singing. In singing together. Oh. Yeah. Yes, and so that's just a natural thing for them. And so it's it's supported in the schools. It's supported by... It's supported uh, in education, yeah. very much, yes, very much. Music education is a big thing in the Scandinavian countries. Okay, so Finland, what what's what's happening in Finland? Well, I got in touch with my friend Reho Kekkonen, mm-hmm. who has a publishing company. He has a choir there, and he sort of knows what's happening all over the country. He's your Uh, man in Finland. He is. Reho is my guy. And he said that it, in terms of returning after the COVID, he said at first the choirs were afraid of coming back, but Mm -hmm. he felt that the choirs were also very bored trying to rehearse during the COVID times right. by Zoom, yeah. you know, well, a, as we all were. Yeah, it's you just know. a non-optimal environment. And yeah. now they're really act anxious to become more active mm-hmm. and because they were quiet so long, right. at least now they're trying to come back to what they would call normal. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> he What's said, going on with repertoire? He said the repertoire seems to be the same, except people are now looking back at some of the older works, which were top hits in terms of classical music back in the 1980s and (laughs) bringing them back again because people had kind of moved on to other things. And so he said, and of course, this would be typical in Finland. 
They're also looking for songs, of which older songs have them, that are all about nature mm -hmm. and the woods hmm. and climate change yeah, and all of that. So huh. there's a, an interesting look back at that repertoire. Audiences, he feels that people, and this is typical, this is true in Minnesota, I'll tell you as yeah. well, that people aren't buying tickets in advance. It's last minute. Really? Oh, yes. At Vocal Lessons, we're saying the two weeks before our concert is where you see this huge surge in, in ticket interest. So it's shifted from what used to be maybe months in advance. Oh, yes. Right. To now, like everyone's just basically hedging their bets and kind of waiting until the last minute and right. then they're buying their tickets. Exactly. Is that, are you noticing that same trend? Are you hearing that from other folks in the United States? Yes. Very much. And it's scary because when you're trying to figure out your budget for the year and you just don't know where you're going to get this audience from, they will show up, but they're just not making a decision until much closer to the time. That's fascinating. And, and so that's, a, that's happening in Finland. Yep. Yeah. And he also said, as far as innovations, he said, really, Nothing much except this interest in singing about nature hmm. and climate things. People are just happy to get back together and sing. Yeah. So, so that's what's happening in Finland. Where, where should we move next? The Philippines. Okay. All right. So my friend Jonathan Velasco, okay. who is one of the leading choral conductors in Philippines okay. and a great guy, he said that in the... In metropolitan Manila, choirs started rehearsing with masks, but face-to-face -face around the middle of 22. Mm -hmm. Okay. And choirs uh, in the provinces, he said, really, they kind of kept rehearsing all the time. Interesting. And uh, therefore, the government made mask-wearing optional, but choirs were wanting to be on the safe side, so they... They kept doing it, kept using masks as much as they could. The answer basically is that choirs, though, are still somewhat cautious, so they haven't returned to their pre-COVID level. In terms of membership. Right. What about audiences? He said audiences, so-so. I mean, it's still, people are coming back, but it's, it's, they're still a little bit tentative about are, what's happening. Are they having the same issue with ticket sales that you see in Finland and the United States? I didn't ask him that, so I don't know what hmm. what happened. Talk to um, me about repertoire. Are they having any shifts and changes in repertoire in the Philippines? He said, when I asked him that, he said, it's really too early to know. Most of the choirs, he said, are rehashing old songs, mm -hmm. ones that they can sing at a moment's notice with very few rehearsals. Yeah, yeah. Including some songs that they learned online and... Some of them have started learning new songs, particularly some things at Christmas time. Right. But most of them are still looking because they're just all coming back together. So they're using music that they already had used. And it was something they could learn in several rehearsals. That they're familiar with. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Audiences, though, coming back, he, he would say that they're at about 70 to 80% in terms of return. Hmm. 
concerts in Philippines are mostly free, but people are still a little cautious about coming out to cultural events. Hmm. And but because they were cooped up for so long, he he thinks that they are coming back, though a great majority are all still masked. Interesting. Yep. And as far as their innovations, he would say that there's really a big clamor for concerts to be streamed live online. But he said the technology in the Philippines to do this and to capture a beautifully balanced sound in the hall is not there yet. And so it's very frustrating to listen to a concert live streamed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's the nature of it. He said there's also an increased awareness for new music and mm -hmm. a lot of performances that would include a, a big percentage of new works and things that are, you know, from the late 20th into the 21st century. So the eagerness for this is in the choir, but not so much from the audience, but that's typical. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because the audience doesn't know these new composers, so they're right. not asking for them. They don't right. know who they are. Well, that's an interesting notion that, yeah, the, cho the choir is intimately involved in the new thing. So, of course, they're enthusiastic about it. And for the audience, it's like, yeah, the first time I get to experience is kind of the only time. So, right. And we're all hesitant. We all resist change. So, right. interesting. So, that's the Philippines. Now um, we go to Argentina. Oh, well, yeah, we jump back across the ocean. All yep. right. And my friend Virginia Bono, who is one of the leading conductors down there, she said that as far as the choirs returning to their pre-COVID level, no, mm. not yet. That's It's been very slow mm. getting choirs to come back. And she's found that as far as their repertoire, they have tended, because they haven't been together, mm. that they tend are doing simple easier music, mm, not trying to do anything that's too complex. Mm. But she's found that audiences are wanting to come back mm. because they have been locked up for so long right. that they want to hear it. And she didn't feel that there were, there's not really a lot of innovation. The one thing she noticed is that there's a lot more open air concerts mm. just because of the... COVID situation, this right. is great, and they can do it. You can't do the open air concert in outdoor Minnesota in the winter. It's a challenge. It's not even a challenge. It's not a possibility. <laughs> All right. So my last country that I would mention is Japan. Ah. My friend there, Yoshi Egawa, who is very involved with the Japanese Choral Society mm. there, and he, he has talked about like some of the numbers. It was very interesting. For, for instance, in 2019 mm -hmm. at a choral festival, you had 330 groups. And in 2022, you had 238. So about 100 less mm. there. In, in competitions, it was the same. In, in choirs... Almost all of them were down by a third or a half in Japan. In terms of the membership in the choirs. Right, right. Is the this, is this same holding true for audiences in Japan? He said many people are refraining from going out 
because again, elderly people are worried about being ill. And so that, but at the same time, they're very interested to hear choral music. So they want to come back. But he said there has just been a lot of fear about what they could do. So he would say that the number of singers in groups have gone down by about 30% Hmm. in terms of numbers of singers. And so a choir that might have had 50 singers uh, now might have 35. Yeah, yeah. As far as repertoire and that, he says, of course, the big number in Japan is the Beethoven Ninth Symphony. Oh, we don't. They just, that's, that's just a big calling card in Japan. Really? Everybody does that? Yes. Yes, very much. Why? why? Okay, so pause for a second. Why would Beethoven's Ninth, of all of the pieces of classical rep, why is that the one that is beloved in Japan? Because when it was introduced in Japan decades ago, it just caught on. Mm. And such an accelerate, it's so exciting to come to that finale yeah, yeah, yeah. and sing it that you, it's just become, now it's kind of like their calling card. Yeah, it's sort of like Handel's Messiah in right. certain parts of the world. Yeah, okay. So it. it's, so the Beethoven Ninth is now, of course it was gone during COVID, but now is coming back. He doesn't see that there's a lot of change in the repertoire except that whereas before a choir might have sung two pieces, mm-hmm. now they're doing one just because of the amount of time to learn a piece of music. And again, because of audience size, he said that the the number of audiences decreased due to they still use reserved seat only sections. Mm. And and having it, you can sit here, the next seat is vacant, then mm. you can sit there. Oh, and so every other seat is, is deliberately so, Right, empty, yeah. and so consequently, he said, the number of audience is, uh, it, it has gone down. Right. And the, but then in other places where they don't have that, mm-hmm. then the audience increased right. has increased. He said that um, the innovations there, again, the big one innovation for them has to do with the space between each singer mm-hmm. standing up there so that they've had a, it's very carefully marked on the stage where you can be mm-hmm. a space in between. Yeah. And if they separate themselves, then they can sing without masks mm, interesting. up there. Yeah. And huh. the whole idea of having a large chorus come up on stage, for instance, at the end of a concert, no, that has not returned. Interesting. So, so that's Japan. That's Japan. Okay, so let's end here in the United States. You know, obviously, you, you know plenty of, of choral folks in Los Angeles and New York and Boston and Houston, and, and here we are in the Midwest and Elise and Vermont and things like that. So what's your sense of the state of choral music in terms of choir participation in the United States? I think it's the same as in other parts of the world. It is definitely coming back. People want it to come back. There's a bit of always just being very careful Mm -hmm. and very concerned. So some places you'll find that choirs are still masked. Mm -hmm. Other places it's, they're not. Obviously if someone is 
is feeling ill, they're told don't show up. Right. And that's everywhere where yeah. that happens. That's a good habit that I think we maybe have picked up sort of post-pandemic. I do think that's a good habit. And I mean, yeah. I can't remember how many times have we been to concerts and you're sitting next to someone who's just wheezing and hacking and you're like, you, in the past it was like, this doesn't seem right. And now we can say like, you don't need to be here, you know? Exactly. No. And so I, you know, I think people are just more cautious yeah, than they yeah. were and that's fine. But I, I wouldn't say that there is like in one part of the United States or another yeah. part that there's, there are differences. I think in general, I'm seeing and hearing that people are being more cautious, but people are coming back. And I would say they are, the numbers are not back to pre-COVID levels. Mm -hmm. I think the numbers are probably somewhere between say 60 to 75% of mm -hmm. people coming back. But again, depending a bit on age mm -hmm. and where, what part of- What market you're in. What market you're in, yeah. exactly. But you are noticing the interesting shift around ticket sales in that the audience's habit is to now kind of buy well, their time. Let's and wait and see how we feel. And let's wait also and just to, you know, we yeah. don't want to buy that ticket too soon. Yeah. I mean, what if suddenly there was an explosion well, of COVID again, right? You know, well, or I mean, something. You, you can't blame people. But no, it, no, no, no. I don't blame them. Yeah. I'm just saying, but that's kind of, that's just kind of where human nature is involved. Yeah. So on the subject of innovation, I guess the, the, the question I have for you is, you've lived through quite a, quite a bit of life, right? You've seen a lot of things occur in the world. And here we are in 2023. What's exciting you? What's innovative from your perspective in the world of choral music? I think for me, what's exciting is that we continually are discovering new composers, mm -hmm. young people writing music, and you're going like, oh my word. And perhaps they're finding a new theme that needs to be looked at, or maybe they're finding a theme that used to be dealt with, but now hasn't been touched for 50 years. And they're going, wow, this is something really unique for us. I think just sounds of music that are exploratory. And at the same time, I, of course, always like an audience to rediscover something that was known 100 years ago and that had been just kind of, oh, well, we've done with that. Right. And now we come back and go, oh, that is a beautiful piece. Right. Just last week, I had a solo quartet sing at the funeral of Senator Durenberger. Right. And they sang a piece by Egil Hovland that most people have just kind of forgotten about that he wrote 50 years ago. And they all said, this is gorgeous. And I yeah. went, yes. Yeah. So you don't. You know, at the same time that you want to encourage new composers, you don't want to forget some of the beautiful things that exist that audiences definitely are loving to hear. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear, to hear you say that and think about you know, what you mentioned is happening in the United Kingdom around kind of a, a stronger interest in more diverse composing voices, <clears throat> more diverse performing voices, right. and, and down in Mexico with this renewed interest in, in pre-Spanish sort of indigenous reference points for, for music. I know that you've done some, some coaching with uh, collegiate choral musicians and things, and I know that you've got one coming up soon, but where do you point 
young people in terms of inspiration? Where do you, you know, there's the standard rep, but when you're suggesting that they need to embrace innovative approach, where do you point them? Well, of course, when people said to me, you know, what was the word that was most important to you when you founded Vocal Essence 54 years ago? And I thought about it and I said, the word was curiosity. Mm, yeah. I have always encouraged young people in college conducting situations, it, hey, be curious, see what's out there. And what's out there may not be brand new. It may be something that they, oh my word, I never even knew this piece was written a hundred years ago. Right. This is just, I mean, so I'm always just urging conductors to be curious because you will find such wonderful music. I know here, also here at Plymouth Church, now, in the month of March, we will sing several pieces that are kind of what I'd call good old standards, mm -hmm. but we're also singing a beautiful piece by a young Philippine composer, mm -hmm. and we're also doing music from several European earlier music. I mean, so it's just finding great range of wonderful things that I'm always curious about, and I'm urging other people to be just as curious. Awesome. Well, I, I think we've kind of covered the waterfront or covered the globe, so to speak, the state of the state. This, uh, here's the, the question, when, do they, when they do the State of the Union, you could answer the, the, the question, if you had to give a singular statement, the state of choral music in the world is? Is thriving, is growing, is embracing a wider range of music than it was, and it is successful because we're learning that everyone needs music in their life for their own soul and for their own well-being. Well, the good news is we're going to get together next month and we're going to talk about choral direction as an act of team building. And we're going to talk about motivating more effective choirs. Good. And uh, have you thought about the Super Bowl at all in terms of like, again, you have a team picked out? As I say, there are going to be two teams. Yeah, yeah. And one of them is going to win. And it will probably be the best one. The better team. Well, with that, I think we should just close things out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.